If you would, please turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Last week in Acts 19, we concentrated on the first seven verses. And today we'll focus on verses 8 through 22. But in our reading, I'd like to pick up with verse 1 and read down through verse 22. So please follow along in your copy of God's Word as we read. Remember, this is the Word of the living God. Acts 19, verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. They were in all about 12 men. Verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempting to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom, the evil, in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they all fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Verse 18, many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began, began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. <clears throat> so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. 
And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Triune God, author of Holy Scripture, where you have revealed yourself to us, we come asking your blessing now. Work in us to accomplish your purpose, we pray. The purpose for which you have sent your word. Convict our hearts by your spirit with the word. Convert the lost. Making them the objects of your grace. Granting repentant faith. Increase our knowledge and our skill in your word. Increase our hunger for righteousness. And by these increase our love for you. Hide this preacher behind the cross of Calvary and cause us today, we ask, to hear the voice of Jesus in this very hour. We pray all this for the edification of your church, for the strengthening of the saints, for the saving of sinners, and above all, for the glory of Christ Jesus, our dear Lord. chapter 19 we find Paul in Ephesus we saw this last time and it's worth pointing out here that Paul spent more time in Ephesus than any other place we have these little time markers and we've seen two of them today in verse 8 we read three months and then in verse 10 we read two years and we add up all the time markers there's some discrepancy some some question, but he was in Ephesus at least two and a half years, and some believe as much as four years. And this was not because Paul just preferred Ephesus over anywhere else he had been. This was because Paul had the opportunity to stay here longer. We remember that when Paul came through Ephesus the first time that he was asked to stay, and he said that he would be back. And when he came back, he was welcomed back. Uh, even when the Jews who had become hardened and began causing trouble, even when they no longer wanted to have Paul meet with them, there was opportunity for him to meet in a school and to continue to minister in this area. So Paul was kind of based out of Ephesus for quite some time. We see in verse 8 that Paul does something that's very familiar. We've been, we've been following his ministry for two missionary journeys. Now this is the third missionary journey. And here we see again, he enters the synagogue. Now we've pointed out already that the main emphasis of his ministry is focused on the Gentiles. But Paul still has a love and a heart to see his fellow Jews come to Christ. And he ministers here as he has opportunity in the synagogue. When we read that he went to the synagogue and continued to speak, this short statement kind of gives us commentary on Paul's labors. We've seen him in many different places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now in the uttermost parts of the earth. We've seen his ministry in all these different places and not once have we seen Paul try to fit ministry to the people or fit ministry to the region. 
No matter where he is, Paul does the same thing. He preaches Jesus. Now, there is a sense in which he said, I become all things to all people. But this ministry of preaching does not change. What a disappointment it is when we hear of missionaries and ministers who want to fit the ministry to a geographic location or fit ministry to a people group's desires or felt needs. The preaching of the cross is the power of God, not only to a particular locality, but everywhere to everyone who believes. Regardless of where they are or where they're from, the preaching of the gospel is the power of God. And Paul preached. Now even today we read from Nehemiah. We read some things there about preaching. So we can go back as far as Nehemiah and we can see preaching is a staple of God's people. When Paul met these disciples that we read in these first seven verses, he met these disciples of John the Baptist, he preached Jesus. When he met in the synagogue in Ephesus, he preached Jesus. When they moved and met in the school, he preached Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, as you've been preaching through Acts, you make the same point a lot about preaching Jesus. Well, I'm not trying to sound like a broken record, but there is this common theme that we see in the book of Acts and in the New Testament and in the Old Testament about preaching, preaching the gospel and sinners being saved runs all through this book that we're studying. Why do we see so many today, so many who claim to be churches after this apostolic order and they have concerts and plays and games and daycares and rodeos and well, there's nothing wrong with concerts or plays or games or daycares or rodeos or car shows or whatever those things are, but they are not. For worship. For God's people. There are countless gimmicks. I remember a church in Houston. Right across from. Um, David Shiflis. The entrance of David Shiflis. Um, subdivision. There was a church. That had a big banner outside. And it literally said. Next Sunday. Dog and pony show. It literally said that. And, and it reminds us that preaching should be the focus. It reminded me of a song we used to sing here at Waco Family. We have an all-sufficient word. You'll remember these words. We need not clowns nor luring games to draw men unto you. Help us preach your word alone, for it alone is true. We have an all-sufficient word to make the simple wise. Upon the heart, the spirit writes, and souls from death arise. With such a mighty wielded sword, what more could saints require to fight the darkness of their sin 
and warn men of hellfire. There are so many things that come in the place of preaching, but we need to remember that Paul was a preacher. And that we need preachers today. Now, Paul was a preacher and we know that he was a skilled preacher. But today, that's not even the point that I'm trying to make. The point is that preaching of the gospel was the main focus. Preaching Christ crucified. And Paul's preaching was in some ways different from the preaching of today. He didn't have the book of Acts to preach from. He was living it. Uh, but we are still preaching today the same message, the same gospel, the same things. When we preach the Holy Spirit inspired words that Paul wrote along with the rest of the Holy Scriptures. One of the commentaries that I'm using in my study through Acts is from John Eady. And, and John Eady's is not really like a commentary, but it's a book called Paul the Preacher. Paul the Preacher. It's a pretty good book title. Some have suggested that Paul's preaching would be a better title. I want us to see that this is not about Paul the great preacher but this is about great preaching. Not great oratory. Not a silver-tongued speaker. But preaching the beauty of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, we also learn about hardening. The gospel is preached. But there is Nevertheless, hardening. These Jews who were so amenable to hearing Paul, wanted to hear him more, were no longer willing to listen. The text tells us they were becoming hardened and disobedient. Hardened and disobedient. Hardening is an interesting thing. We, we've had so many discussions about hardening and Ask the question, who is the agent of hardening? Who hardens a person's heart? Is it God who hardens or is it the person who hardens themselves? And the Bible is, I think, very clear. Because there are passages which clearly state that man hardens his own heart. And there are passages which state just as clearly that God hardens man's heart. So how do you say the answer is clear? Well, because the answer is both. Sinners, you may harden your own heart. And you do harden your heart. God also hardens the that person's will, but he hardens in concert God's hardening of a man's heart is in concert with a man hardening his own heart. And sinner today, hear me when I say you don't know the day when you will reject Christ, when you will harden your heart, and then when God will harden you as well, and it will be the last time. This is why when we preach 
When we preach Jesus, there is a sense of urgency. The scripture gives us this. Today is the day of salvation. In the day when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Seek the Lord while he may be found. When we come to texts such as this and we read of hardening and the disobedience of men's hearts, it should bring us to a soberness of mind as we consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also learned that when they were hardened and disobedient, when they began stirring trouble, Paul withdrew, the text tells us. Paul withdrew. He didn't stay and say, I'm going to really cause more trouble. Paul withdrew. The kingdom of God is not forced upon someone. It's not forced by sword. It's not forced by political maneuvering. And it wasn't forced by Paul stubbornly staying put. Paul withdrew. Sometimes it's hard to know when to withdraw. But here, Paul withdrew. This is sort of like a church split in our day. Paul was meeting there with these Jews at the synagogue and some believed and some did not believe and they caused trouble. And Paul took the believing disciples and began to meet at a school. Some of you right now may be having PTSD moments of church splits and church hurt where things went poorly and all of a sudden you're meeting at a school. For any of us who have lived through the heartbreak of church split, for any of us here who know that this church congregation formed out of a church split, we can learn that God can grow His church. God can even prosper His church out of a split. Paul and the disciples withdrew and they were blessed. God blessed. We don't know much about this school, this, this Tyrannus, his name. It's been wondered, it's been, it's been questioned how he got his name. Did his mother name, do you name your son a, a word that sounds like a tyrant, that means tyrant? Maybe he owned a school, perhaps his students gave him that name. Whether he was simply a landlord or whether he had become a believer, we don't know. But there are some things that, because history informs us, we can surmise. Remember, Paul was working in Ephesus as a tent maker. And the work day in Ephesus was a split work day because of uncomfortably hot temperatures. We in Texas know something about that. Their summer temperatures could be way up just like ours, but they didn't have air conditioning. So history tells us that they would start the work day about 7 a.m. and then they would work till 11 or so when they would knock off for the hottest part of the day and then back to work at about four and work till maybe nine. So we believe that 
Paul was working as a tent maker from, say, 7 to 11, and then teaching at the school from 11 to 4 during the hottest part of the day, and then back to tent making. What a dedicated pastor. In the hottest part of the day when, when you might want to just go get in a hammock somewhere and cool off. Paul was doing the work of ministry. So many pastors and missionaries could learn from this example. And this was not a two-week revival that Paul worked so hard for a short period of time. This wasn't even a semester. According to verse 10, this went on for two years. And all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. What a report to build a building. Sometimes we measure success in those ways. It doesn't tell us how many they were running in Sunday school or how many they had baptized. We know that the church was growing. But the goal was not just to see how many people we can pack in. How do we measure the success of this ministry here? All heard the word of the Lord. That's success. For three months, Paul met in the synagogue and he preached. Verse 8 tells us speaking boldly, reasoning, persuading. That's, that's what preaching is. Not only reasoned, persuasive boldness, but reasoned, persuasive boldness about the kingdom of God. Then they moved to the school of Tyrannus and he continued with reasoned, persuasive boldness about the kingdom of God. His preached even when so many around him were distracted. And I'd like to consider just a moment the distractions, the distractions of the Christians and the distractions of the worldlings. Verse 11 tells us that God was doing miracles by the hand of Paul. I, I love that wording because it keeps the focus on the one who was doing the miracles. God was doing miracles by Paul's hand. But God used Paul. And remember that this is during that special apostolic. Not just for a show. Not just for a trick. But to affirm and authenticate the message being preached by the apostle. So miracles were done. But verse 11 tells us that in Ephesus. These were extraordinary miracles. And maybe you're thinking like me. I thought miracles were extraordinary. Well, these must have been extra, extra extraordinary. They were given by God to affirm the message preached. And what we read next is not something that Paul did. We're not told here that Paul was doing this. But it's something that was done. Verse 12 says, Handkerchiefs and aprons were carried to the sick. These were these were probably from well it says from Paul's body. These were probably from Paul's work. Remember, working as a tent maker, he would likely be wearing an apron of some sort for work. It was like a normal thing. And he probably used a handkerchief to wipe sweat from his brow as he worked. 
And not only as he was working, but remember Paul is teaching and preaching in the heat of the day. So even in his teaching and preaching, he probably needed a handkerchief to wipe the sweat from his brow. There's no mention here that Paul prayed over these items. That Paul sent these items for healing. Not even that Paul sanctioned the practice. But the people took these items and sent them to the sick. We have here a description of what is happening. And I want to be very clear and we need to understand very clearly that this is no warrant in our day to take this as a prescription that we should follow. We know that in certain circles, prayer cloths are used. And you can have a prayer cloth by sending in just a small donation to ministry A, B, or C. But this is not something that should be pursued by God's people. It is what happened, but it's not something that we should pursue. I want to say very quickly, though, that God was pleased at this time to bless this. God was pleased at this time in this place to, to take the ignorance and even the superstition of the Ephesian Christians and he healed the sick people and cleansed evil spirits from them. God used it. And, and yes, I did call this ignorance and superstition. I believe that's what it was. And when we see it in our day, it's still ignorance and superstition. Now maybe you're saying, well, I, I have loved ones who believe some of these things. How could you be so mean? Let me tell you. I also have loved ones who believe these things. And how mean would it be to not speak the truth? How cruel. I have seen my loved ones, my families talk about their Bible as though it were some sort of a magic wand. Wave it here, wave it there. Open it up and place it in the window. So that the blessings will come. Now I call this distractions. And this superstition is exactly that. When you're opening your Bible, using it as a magic wand, opening it and placing it in the window, what should you be doing? Reading it. Open it and read it. See what God has said. We are to pursue God through His Word. Handkerchiefs distract God's people from the diligent study of the Word. I'm saying things like that. Handkerchiefs distract. Handkerchiefs are fine. Just not when they're used and when they are aligned as a religious tool. We have the scripture. And these things distract people from diligent study of the word. Think of the other things, even in our day, that are distracting, that pull us away from the Bible. Things that may be fine in their own right, but they're used and God's name is attached. 
God will bless you if you follow a certain diet. God will bless you if you diffuse this smelly stuff throughout your house. God will bless you if you burn the right candle. Maybe it's a money candle. Maybe it's a healing candle. Maybe it's a fertility candle. God will bless you if you do, well, fill in the blanks with the latest lie that Satan has to pull us away from God's word. Beloved, listen, I'm, I'm not anti-candle. I'm not anti-essential oil. If you want to do those things, more power to you. I wrote in my notes, but leave God out of it. And you can write that down. <laughs> you know what I mean by that. Don't try to attach God to your thing and make it an act of worship or an act of righteousness. Let us stir one another up to love and good works. And both those things, love and good works, are defined for us. And we learn of them in the scriptures. There were others who were distracted from the main point of Paul's ministry. Verse 13. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempting to name over those who had the evil spirit the name of the Lord Jesus. Saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. I adjure you by Jesus. They were using the name Jesus like a magic spell or a magic word like abracadabra. They were using the name Jesus because they thought they could repeat the words that Paul said and they'd have the same power. Just say the same words and we'll have the same power. Brothers and sisters, that lie is still alive today in the Word of Faith movement. If you don't know about the Word of Faith movement, let me tell you, they will tell you that if you say magic words, well, they don't call them that. They call them faith words. But if you say faith words, then you can be as powerful as God. Those charlatans teach that God had the power to create the world because he said the magic words. And if you learn to say faith words, you too can be as powerful as God. This is such a lie of Satan. God is the source of power. What power? All power. God is the source of power. And he uses words for our benefit. They didn't understand that the power in the name of Jesus was because of Jesus' own power and his authority. It's about him. It's not just about the name Jesus. That's what these Jewish exorcists didn't understand. They were using the name Jesus apart 
from the person of Jesus. They were using his name apart from him. Beloved, that is using God's name in vain. Just like when you use the name of God with no thought of who he is. They invoked the name of Jesus like it was a magic spell. Paul preached Jesus and they got distracted by the words of Paul and missed the word of God, missed the word of Christ. In verses 14 through 17, we have this story that I think is is an amazing story. These sons of Sceva. And they're an example of those who were doing this. And we won't comment much on this story for now. It's plain for our reading here. But we will come back and consider something from these demons. First, let's very quickly consider verses 18 through 20. 18 tells us there were people being saved. 19 tells us some of those being saved were former practitioners of the occult. It it says in my translation, magic. You need to understand that when it says magic, it's not talking about sleight of hand. This is not pulling a quarter out of somebody's ear. This is the occult. And in Ephesus, they were known well for occultic practices. But these, in verse 19, had come to Jesus by faith and had left their old practices. They had new faith, new belief, and that new belief led them to new actions. What have we said in the past? Orthodoxy and orthopraxy are linked. Again, this is, this is not a command in these verses that we need to go from house to house and collect everybody's books, magic books, and burn, have a book burning. This is not me burning your books or us burning someone else's books. These are people burning their own books because they now are followers of Jesus Christ and there is no going back. They will not return to that. So their books that contain spells and incantations go in the fire. They're certainly not going to take them to goodwill to go to somebody else. They go in the fire. And this is a statement of their faith. I remember once upon a time I cleaned out my library and purged my library of some bad books. And I didn't let those books that contain such error and false doctrine go to some other poor soul. You might need to check your bookshelves too. But I'm not coming to your house to burn books. They burned their own books. In verse 20 we read, The word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Throughout the book of Acts we have these little report cards. We read about the progress of the gospel. And there are a couple of verses Listen to Acts 6, verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. From Acts 6. And then in Acts 8, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. There are other of these Report cards, and we have this one here in verse 20. 
The word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. A report of how things are going. And this reminds us that the Lord is building His church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Church, when we're discouraged, and sometimes we are discouraged, but when we are discouraged, when we get our eyes on the raging seas, the, when we put our eyes on the enemy and those who serve him all around us, we need to remember all that Paul had seen, all the difficulty that he had faced, what he had lived through, and remember that the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The Lord Jesus will prevail. We need to be encouraged by this. Beloved, today I ask you to come further than the demons. I ask you to come further than the faith they have. They said they knew Jesus and they certainly knew of His authority, of His power. They knew that Jesus is God. James tells us that the demons believe and tremble. Now this is not a saving faith. But it is an intellectual assent. It's to acknowledge that Jesus is who He says He is. Jesus is who the Scripture testifies Him to be. The demons know this and they tremble. They not only know the facts, but they have an emotional reaction. And today, friend, I'm calling you to come beyond this demonic type of belief. Don't simply know things about Jesus. Come to Jesus. Jesus received and saved and forgave all these disciples here in Ephesus. The ones who were former prostitutes at the temple Diana. The ones who were formerly into witchcraft and the occultic practices. The ones who were just regular run-of-the-mill lost sinners. Like some of you. Jesus saved them. He forgave their sin. And He will still save you when you come to Him in faith. Turning away from your old sin, your old self, the old way, and turning to Jesus Christ. He saves sinners. All kinds of sinners. And He can save a sinner like you. Those demons, they knew about Jesus. And they recognized Paul, but recognizing Paul was different. There's different wording here. Their, their recognition of Paul was not like their knowing about Jesus. They only knew about Paul because he was united with Jesus. 
the great Apostle Paul, we might call him. To these demons, he was nobody. Except for the fact that he belongs to Jesus Christ. And friend, at the risk of offending your pride, you are nobody. You may want to be somebody, but the only identity you can have that's worth anything is to be identified as one who belongs to Jesus. Amen. The call of the gospel, the gospel that Paul preached and the gospel that I preach is that Jesus has died for your sin. That he lived for your righteousness. For all who will believe in him. Come to Jesus. Repenting of your sin. So that demons and angels and men can say. You're somebody. Because you know Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use the weakness of man and by the strength of your word and your spirit you would do your work save sinners grant faith and repentance God build up your church Build your kingdom. We give you all praise.